week, uh, I issued a challenge. I asked the parents of America to put a, pull a little holiday trick on their children. We did this on Halloween with candy and got a lot of response to it. So we did it again, this time for Christmas. I asked parents to tell their kids they were going to let them open one present a few weeks early. But instead of a good present, I said, put something the kids won't like in the box and then upload a video of that to YouTube labeled, Hey Jimmy Kimmel, I gave my kids a terrible present. And a lot of people did do this and um, they did give their kids terrible presents and a lot of the kids, surprisingly, reacted poorly to that. What's your, what's your, Charlie? I don't like this. Oh. What is it? An old banana. An old banana? Isn't that exciting? No. What are you doing? It's a net. Okay. Wow. A battery and an onion. What's wrong? I don't want an onion. Did you smell your onion? Here, smell it. What do you tell me all the time about my cooking? I love it. You love my cooking, so I made you something. So you don't want that peanut butter and jelly sandwich? It's Christmas time, and it's time to give gifts, right? Hopefully, you're going to give something a little bit better than what those parents gave those kids. That's awful. Can you imagine the therapy bills later for that? <laughs> Jesus once said, it's more blessed to give than receive. And if you're like skeptical about that, or you're not sure, you never tried that, I've got some ideas about how you can maybe give some gifts this year and see if Jesus is right when he says it's better to give than receive. You know, you could clean out your closet and bring your used shoes out to the shoe man shoe drive and see how it feels to provide clean drinking water to a village in Africa. You can do that. Um, you can go over just across the parking lot and ring the bell for a Salvation Army at the Shop and Save. You can go through a link on our Facebook page and you can sign up for a two-hour spot with your family and ring the bell and see what it's like to give. Here's an idea. Why don't you, get my microphone settled here, why don't you give something to someone who will not give you something back? You know, we always do gifts like, I got you something, so now you're going to give me something. I feel like I should get you Just give something to someone who won't give you anything back. I can help you with that. I love dark chocolate. And if you give me some, I promise I won't give you anything back. You can try that out. See if it's really blessed to give. You know, at Christmas time, we think of giving, and we think about presents and all that. Maybe you hear about the two guys who were, like, talking about what they're going to get their wives for Christmas. One guy says, I got the best idea this year. I am going to wrap myself up in Christmas wrapping paper, give myself as a present. Me, I'm your Christmas present, honey. The other guy looked at me and said, 
Yeah, I'm probably not going to get my wife much for Christmas either. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas is time for gifts. What are, you, what are you thinking about getting this Christmas for somebody else that you care about? What are you going to hope that you find under the tree? Well, at Christmas time, we remember this. We remember that it's the time when Jesus was given to us. That's why we give presents at Christmas. It's to remember, first of all, that the ultimate gift has already been given to us. It's Jesus Christ. I think that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to put into words when he said in 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift that he's given to us. You know, we read in the book of James that every good, every perfect gift comes down from God to us. Every perfect present, it's from God. So God is just a generous, giving God. And we in his family, he wants us to be generous, giving people to one another. It's just part of who we are and who he is. And when we look at the Christmas story, we realize that it all comes down to God, first of all, giving the original gift, the best gift of all, as Brian said, the gift of Jesus to the world. And as we look at the Christmas story, we also understand that 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 gift of Jesus was, first of all, a gift to a woman named Mary. Baby Jesus was a gift to this woman before he was a gift to the whole world. We read her story uh, in Luke chapter 1. If you're acquainted at all with the Christmas story, you've heard about Joseph, you've heard about Mary. Well, let's dig into her story and see what it looks like when God blesses the world with a gift. So, you got your Bible? Oh, some of you look like you may not have your Bible. If you've got your Bible, if you've got your smartphone, you've got your Bible app, pull it out. We're going to also have the words up on the screen. Let's see how this played out. We're going to take up where we left off last week in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And next week, bring your Bible. <laughs> All right. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went with her and said, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. But the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. And as I said, we're taken up with Mary and her story where we left off last week. Six months after the events that we talked about last week, Gabriel was first of all sent to Zechariah in the temple at Jerusalem. This time, now that Zechariah's wife Elizabeth is six months pregnant, Gabriel is sent out again, but he's not sent to Jerusalem. He's sent to a a town in the middle of nowhere, Nazareth in Galilee. And he's not sent to an old man priest. He's sent to a a young girl named Mary. What do we know about Mary? Well, historically speaking, a lot has been said about Mary and Joseph. Every Christmas, do you set up a nativity at your house? We set up the nativity. You've got Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus in the hay and the animals and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men. It's just all really cute. What we've done, though, over time is we've heard the story so much, we've kind of lacquered over it, and it's all very pretty and polished. What we need to do is just to sand away all the lacquer and the varnish and get down to the real story, because this is a real account of real people, and what happened there is so much more powerful than you know, kind of the, the glossy image that we've created 2,000 years later. When we look into this, 
what we realize is in that day, people who were getting married got married very young. When your life expectancy is 40 or 50, you grow up fast. So what we know is people in that uh, culture, in that era, would get married as soon as, sometimes 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And we might look at that and go, my gosh, but that was normal and that was acceptable. People, as I said, grew up very quickly. Scholars believe that Joseph and Mary, at this point in their life, were probably about 15 years old. Put that in perspective. In our culture, Mary's not old enough to drive a car yet. She's got her learner's permit. Joseph wakes up every day and checks the mirror to see if he's able to grow a beard yet. And they're, getting, they're engaged to be married. Again, that's normal in their culture. They were, if you were to go back and talk to them, very excited about their future. Everyone was excited for them. I can just imagine Mary. If you were just to talk to her, she would probably say, yeah, at this point next year, I'm going to be married. I'm probably going to be pregnant or I've already had my first child. And so they've just got this wonderful future ahead of them. But it's at this point that God says, I've got a little bit of different plan for your life. And God gives them a gift in a way that they never would have expected or dreamed. Gabriel comes to uh, Mary and look at verse 28. What did he say to her? Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And the King James, Hail Mary, thou that art highly favored by God, the Lord is with thee. You may have heard that before somewhere. Now, if you go back, Zechariah was afraid at the sight of Gabriel. Mary wasn't afraid so much of Gabriel in the sight of him. She was afraid at his message. What does this mean? I'm who highly favored. What is that? She got past the shock of seeing an angel, but she's like, why are you saying this to me? Why is an angel appearing to me? In fact, two times the angel says to Mary, you are favored by God, which is significant. It's like underlining something that it's repeated. So we've got to go, what does that mean to be favored by God? Put that aside for a second. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But first, let's look at what the message was that Gabriel delivered to Mary. What was it? Mary, I know you're engaged to be married, but you're going to have a child. This is no ordinary child. You need to, it's going to be a boy, first of all. You're going to have a son, and you need to name him Jesus. It's the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. Great name, a common name. There isn't just like one kid named Jesus. There are lots of kids named Jesus or Joshua. It means God saves or God saves his people. Just a great name. He says, this baby's going to be Jesus, and he's not going to be any ordinary kid. He is going to be a king, and he's going to reign on the throne of your, your ancestor, David. More than that, this is not only just a king who's going to reign forever. This is going to be the son of the Most High. And Mary, Mary went to synagogue. She was a good Jewish girl. She knew what that meant. As wild as it sounded, what Gabriel was telling her, and she knew what it meant. So what you're saying is, I'm going to give birth to the Son of God. Wow. Never saw that one coming. Do you think Mary was just a little bit shocked at the message of the angel? Would you be? If an angel appeared to you and said, you're going to give birth to the Son of God? Mary, do you remember going to synagogue and hearing them read from the scroll of Isaiah the prophet? And you remember that part in the scroll of Isaiah the prophet? And you've got this in your Bible, right? When it's said that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary, that prophecy that Isaiah gave 800 years ago, he was talking about you. And Mary is sitting there going, oh my goodness. And she got it. I mean, it's not like somebody had to clue her in. She immediately goes, that thing in the Bible, that's talking about me? Wow. Let's get to this word favor. That's why the angel says twice, God has favored you. What does that mean? It's the same exact word in your Bible that's otherwise translated as the word grace. Favor is a gift from someone else. 
When God shows his favor, it says, I'm giving you grace. I'm giving you a gift. You know what that is. It's, a, it's something that you don't earn. It's not something that you deserve. It's just somebody gives you something. They favor you with something. It's their blessing. It's the same word, literally, that describes what God does for us when we become Christians. He favors us with his grace. It's not anything we earned. It's not anything we deserve. It's not something that we merit. It's just something he gives. And so when you look at this, if you are a Christian this morning... You also have been favored by God. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I have been favored by God. I've been shown his grace. I didn't merit it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I just receive it as his gift. It's God's favor. Mary received God's favor in the form of his son. And so we realize this. Mary, God's hand is on you. You are highly favored by God. And and maybe your first question would be, as you look at this story, and it certainly probably was Mary's first question, why me? Of all the women you could have chosen to have your son, why did you favor me? And the answer to that is simply, because God said so. Because God is good, God is sovereign, and he chooses whoever he wants to to lift up and to show his favor to. And maybe you sit here this morning and you go, God, why did you save me? Out of my whole family, I'm the only person who's a Christian, maybe you're thinking, or you my neighbors aren't. Why did you favor me? Why did you show me your grace? Again, you've got to say, because God is good. Because he decided to show me his favor. It's not anything that I did. It's not anything that I, that I earned. You think about this. God could have picked anyone to have his son, right? He could have gone, and Jesus, we're going to pick the family that's going to have you. I think we ought to probably pick an affluent family that lives in a nice neighborhood, give you lots of educational opportunities. You'll get to travel. You'll be safe. You'll get to eat well. You'll be well-connected. We'll have you be born in a palace befitting your, you know, your status as God. No, no, what did God do? He goes to the backwaters of Galilee in the middle of nowhere, Israel, and says, I'm going to pick that barefoot 15-year-old girl, and she's going to be the one. And what we realize as we look at this, God's favor is just for ordinary, insignificant people. We kind of get this reverse. We think, well, God's favor must be for the really, really good people, the really people who've already got it together, and so he favors them. No, no, God's favor is just for ordinary, insignificant people. And that is amazing. And uh, that's why I will never describe my relationship with God as my religion. And you shouldn't either. You know what religion has come to mean to people today? I mean, nothing wrong with the word religion, but we've corrupted the word like we have with so many other English words. Religion now means like my stuff that I do to make God happy with me. You know, my religion is I go, I light some candles and I do this thing and I, you know, maybe I make this trip to this place or I do good things and I hope for good karma or whatever. That's what religion is to people and I'm not interested in religion. Why in the world would you ever be interested in trying to earn something that you could never in a million years earn when God is willing to give it to you for free as a gift? Why would you do that? Why would you go play in this ballpark if you're going to lose every time? The ballpark that says, if I'm good enough, God will accept me. When he says, well, let's play in this ballpark where the only reason I accept you is because I love you and I want you to be in my family. has nothing to do with you. has nothing to do with how good or bad you have been. It has everything to do with me and my gracious nature. I'm God. I love you. I want you to be in my family. How about I just show you my favor and invite you to be in my favor? Why would you go over here when God's offering to give you this? This is religion. It does not work. It's our attempt to get to God. It's made up by us. It's not ordained by God or given by God. Don't ever go here. See, this is something we learn here. God's favor is taking ordinary people and giving him his grace. You know, it's, you just think about this. 
It's not for people who've always done things right their entire life. It's not for people who've never done anything wrong or shameful. It's not for people who have no marks on their permanent record. It's for anybody who's willing to ask because God's willing to show his favor. Ordinary, insignificant people like Mary, you know, like me and you, anybody. God's favor doesn't just rest on people who deserve his favor. It's for everyone. Gabriel tells Mary, you're going to give birth to a son and you name him Jesus because it means he's going to save his people from their sins. You realize this? Mary gave birth to her Savior. You know, what, a, what an incredible honor that would be, wouldn't it? To, to go, my son is going to grow up to save me from my sins. And not only my sins, but the sins of the entire world. Mary gave birth to the one who would save all of us. Now, Mary's response here is just as important as the fact that God favored her. If you were here last week, you know, again, Zechariah, the priest, is in the temple. Gabriel appears to him and says, I know you guys are old, but guess what? God's heard your prayer. You're going to have a baby. Nine months from now, you're going to have a baby. Gabriel's response, or I'm sorry, Zechariah's response, not so hot. You know? Zechariah, he's like, uh, Gabriel... <clears throat> I don't know if you angels know how this stuff works, but old people don't have babies. Just so you know, I just want to fill you in on this. And, you know, Gabriel's like, okay, dude, I understand how this works, but you obviously don't. You know, Zachariah talked too much and believed too little. Now, Mary's response is so instructive here. so much the opposite. Mary responds so differently. She says, not Gabriel. I don't know if you angels know how this works, but work, but virgins don't have babies, Okay. She doesn't say that. She just simply says, okay, how is this going to be since I am a virgin? Mary doesn't respond with unbelief. She just responds with a question, an honest question. And I need to stop here and just say something to you. You may be that person who says, all right, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's God's son. I believe all of that he raised from the dead, but I do have questions. I have friends who bring up things that they, they think are things that wipe out Christianity. They, they argue against it, and I don't know how to answer them. I have questions. There's things that I don't know. There's sometimes I have doubts. And I've even had this conversation with many people. Maybe you've wondered this. Okay, I believe, but I have doubts. Does that mean, I, am I still a Christian? And my answer to that is, absolutely. There's a difference between unbelief that says, I just refuse to believe in God, and the, the questioning that says, I don't get this, and I want to know. It's what the church father Anselm said. It's faith-seeking understanding. I don't have answers I don't have this all figured out. I don't know how it works, and I want to know. That's different than unbelief, just as I refuse to see this. I refuse to believe in God. That's honestly how your faith grows, is when you test it and you go, this seems to contradict this, but I need to figure out how they go together, not just wipe it out and say, I don't believe. Mary does not demonstrate unbelief here. She just says, in the normal order of things, virgins don't have babies, so how is this going to work? Because I am a virgin, and so... And Gabriel answers her honest question with an honest answer. He says, yes, in the normal order of things, virgins don't have babies, but this is going to be something different. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of God will overshadow you. What he's saying is, this will be a miraculous birth. This will be on the order of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. We're going to do that again within you, Mary. Go to the Old Testament sometime and look and see what it says happened whenever the Holy Spirit came upon a person. Don't do it right now, but go to Judges 14 and 15 and see what Samson did when the Holy Spirit came upon him. It's amazing. It's like you've got this superhero who's got this powerful strength. When the, other times in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, miraculous things happen. Mary, the same thing's going to happen with you. It's going to be a miraculous birth. See, here's what we also find about God's favor. God's favor means the impossible becomes possible. 
Is it impossible for a virgin to have a baby? Yes. But God is the God of the impossible. He makes impossible things possible when he shows his favor. And Gabriel gives Mary a little bit of evidence to show just how possible things are with God. He, he says, you know your relative Elizabeth? I know you haven't heard this yet because she's been in seclusion for the last six months. But your relative Elizabeth is going to have a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old Elizabeth, the one who's never been able to have a baby her entire life and now she's an old lady? Yes, she's starting her third trimester. It's wonderful. See, because God, and, and Gabriel actually says this, one of the greatest lines in the Bible, nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? Connection Christian Church, do you believe that nothing is impossible with God? Can God create something out of nothing? Absolutely. Can God raise the dead? Absolutely. Can God take people who have been enemies their entire life and make them friends? Can God take people that you've been at odds with your entire life and you want desperately to be reconciled with them? Can God fix that? Can God forgive sins? There's nothing that is impossible for God. You want to know why we're so happy at this church and why we sing? And it's not like, woohoo, every Sunday, but you know why we are positive people, why we are the most positive people on the planet or should be? We serve a God who shows his favor to people who don't deserve it, who does impossible things. It's like God's description. Doing impossible things since day one is what he does. It's just his role, and he loves to do that for us. And, and he takes people who are nobodies, and he lifts them up and puts them into a high and exalted place, and he gives us meaningful things to do with our lives. Isn't God great? He shows his favor to people who don't deserve it, people like me and you. Now, how do we respond to that? When, when God shows you his favor, what do you do with that? I love Mary's response in verse 38. Just look at this. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Here's this simple woman. Now, let me backtrack from that. Here's this simple girl. Middle of nowhere. And yet when God gives her this incredible challenge, she's just like, okay, whatever you want, God. I'm okay with that. I'm sure Mary had a, a dream and a goal for her life. We all do that, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. You have your, like, your one-year goals and your five-year goals, and you have kind of an idea where you want the rest of your life to go. Do you do that? Am I the only one? I think everybody does that, honestly. We think about where we'd love to see things go. I'm pretty sure Mary, if you'd asked her, had a script for her life. And, and here's maybe what it sounded like. You know, in a few months, I'm going to marry Joseph, and we're going to have a beautiful wedding, and the dress is going to be white, and it's going to fit because I'm not going to be pregnant, you know, and, and uh, it's going to be a beautiful wedding, and no one's going to talk about, my, about me behind my back, no one's going to question my morals, and nobody's going to call me bad names, because when I go to my wedding, I'm going to be a virgin, and I'm not going to be pregnant. I'm pretty sure Mary had a view of her life that was quite different than the one that actually happened, but then an angel shows up and says, Mary, new script, God's done a little bit of rewriting here, here's where we're going with your life, and Mary's immediately like, okay, I'm good with this, because you know, God is God, and I love him, and whatever he wants me to do, it's my life, because I'm his servant. I'll do whatever. I just kind of wonder how willing we would be to do the same thing if God came to us and said, I know you wanted to go this way, but I would prefer you go this way. Are you okay with that? that, that really, if you boil down its essence, what it means to call Jesus Lord, that's it right there. If Jesus says, go that way, and I wanted to go that way, I say, okay, I'm your servant. I'll go this way. Now, as we look at this, we realize one thing about Mary that really is very instructive to us, it's this. Mary just shows us how important it is that when God shows his favor that we just be obedient to him. 
whenever God says, I want you to do this, we just say, okay. God's favor is for those who are simply obedient. It's not that we earn it or anything like that, but God is very serious about us actually doing his will. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? So obedience is so important. And Mary just gets it. This 15-year-old girl from Nazareth just gets it. And it's just like, wow. Now, I want you to know something. I don't think we ought to be making too much of Mary. And I want to kind of caution you against that because sometimes we do that. Some, some faith traditions make too much of Mary. Some others, like, don't do anything at all with her. And so that's the, you know, uh, if you talk about abusing Mary, there's two sides of that coin. That's making too much of her and, and just ignoring her altogether. You know, I know there are some faith traditions that teach us to maybe pray to Mary and ask for her help. Um, maybe you grew up in a church that taught you to pray the Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou. Some of you are already you're through the rest of it right now. Scripturally speaking, I want you to know we are never taught to pray to Mary. We are never encouraged to see her as the object of our faith. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I just want you to know, scripturally speaking, that's not something that we're ever asked or told or commanded to do. That's something that's a relatively recent addition to some faith traditions. The Bible actually says there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So we, we pray to God the Father directly. We pray to Jesus. We pray in the power of the Spirit. Don't need to make too much of Mary. Mary should never be an object of our faith. At the same time, Mary is an example of great faith. We should look to her and go, this is what it looks like when the Lord asks you to do something and you just say, yes, sign me up. In fact, I'm giving you a blank check. Just fill it in. Um, I'm saying yes before I even know what the request is. I'll do it, whatever you want, God. And I will still say this. Mary's life didn't go the way she thought it would go, but I'm pretty sure later in life Mary said, my life went an awesome way. I never saw that coming. And you can say the same thing. Many of you can say, I was obedient to God, and it took me in a direction I never thought I would go, but I'm so glad I followed him. Can you imagine Mary, like, late in life, she's like an old woman, and she's talking about what happened on those days? I kind of picture that's how it happened. I think Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, tracked Mary down as she was an old woman because he says at the beginning of Luke, I just investigated this thoroughly. So I think Luke tracked down Mary. He said, Mary, tell me what it was like back in Nazareth when the angel came to me. You know, I can just hear Mary in her old lady voice saying, yeah, you know what? Yes, people did question my morals when I turned up pregnant and unmarried. That wasn't fun. But my life turned out pretty good. I mean, I got to be there on the first day that the church started, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down, and we were all filled, and the gospel was preached. They talked about my son, Jesus, and 3,000 people were baptized. I was there. I was part of that group. And you know, my, one of my sons, James, went on to be the, the lead pastor in that church at Jerusalem and uh, actually wrote something that made it in the Bible. One of my other boys, Jude, you know, got something written in the Bible. My oldest boy, Jesus, saved the world from their sins. My boys turned out all right, don't you think? I mean, what other mom could say that about her kids? I think I had a pretty good life. You know, what will be written about us? You know, were you obedient like Mary? Did God show his favor on you and you just said, yeah, whatever, I'm, of course, the best life I'm ever going to have is the one that you lead. It's a great thing when God shows his favor, isn't it? We are blessed. Every single one of us sitting here this morning, God has shown his favor on us. He's loved you deeply. He cares about you right now. And he wants to show you his favor. And I want you to know something as we close this out. 
the miracle that Mary experienced is something that every single one of us can experience and many of us have already experienced. God created new life in Mary, and he can create new life in every single one of us. And here's why I say that. The Bible teaches us that before we come to know Jesus and we embrace Jesus and follow him as Lord, that every single one of us are dead. And we don't look like it, but spiritually speaking, we are dead in our sins. It says that in Ephesians 2. Everybody who's outside of Christ is dead in their sins. But what God comes and does is he says, I want to make you alive in Christ. It's what Jesus called being born again. None of us can go back to the beginning of our lives as much as we may want to and like live it all over again. You know, like an extended version of Groundhog Day. Just loop over and over and over till we get our entire life. I don't think if you had 10,000 shots at it that you could get your life perfect. And so the, the Lord hasn't done salvation that way because it's just not possible. What the Lord says is, I will make you born again. I will create new life within you. Just in the same way I created life in Mary, I will do it through my son, Jesus Christ, when you accept me. And it's a life that will never end. And so what a Christian experiences as death is nothing like real death at all. That's why the Bible calls a Christian dying falling asleep. Because once you accept Christ, you never see death, you never taste death. It's just not part of your experience anymore. You become alive in Christ. That's why our baptism is described as a death, burial, and resurrection. Your new life begins when you accept Jesus Christ. And it's something that many of us have experienced. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old's gone and the new's come. If you haven't done that, if you've not embraced Jesus as Lord, if you've not been obedient to him by being immersed in water, man, today would be a great day to do that. What a great gift that God wants to give you today. I'll tell you this as I do close, and I will pray here in just a moment. But... uh, we already have one young man who's going to be baptized. We're going to go over to Harvester Central Campus at 2.30 today and baptize Caleb Gall. And um, if, if that's something that you're ready to do and to be baptized, you can catch me after service because I'll be there anyway. So you know, we can baptize you today too if that's the next thing you need to do to be obedient to Christ. What I encourage you to do is just to set aside whatever it is that holds you back from God, just to realize that he loves you and he wants to bless you, he wants to favor you. But really he's left you in control of that decision about whether you open your heart to him or not. So, I mean, it's awesome. I encourage you to do it today if you have not done it. And if you have experienced God's favor, give him thanks today for that incredible, indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. I invite you to stand right now and let's pray. Father, thank you for taking somebody like Mary, man, just a a simple girl who trusted you, who believed in you, and just showing your favor to her. I, I thank you that just through the example of of her, that we realize what it's like to show faith in you and trust in you and obedience to you. Um, I just pray, Father, that so many girls and women in our church would take their cue from Mary uh, to live a life of virtue and to trust you and to be obedient to you. And uh, Father, for all of us, like um, just to follow her example of obedience and, and even if we have not always been obedient, that we would come to you in humble repentance and just tell you we're sorry. And to understand that we don't have to earn your favor. We don't have to clean up our act before we come to you. I'm just so thankful for that. I want to just ask right now that you would speak to our hearts and help us to know what it is you want us to do today.